Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network, and I'd like to tell you that we have a new and improved website. It has two new features that we think you'll love. One of them is a vastly improved search engine so that when you type in keywords, you'll get a bunch of episodes really quick. The other is the ability to create a listener account. And in that listener account, you can save episodes for later listening. So you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to the MBN Entrepreneurship and Leadership Channel. As well as new content, we are making available selected podcasts recorded by our hosts prior to joining the MBM family. This is one of them, and so this podcast may refer to itself with a different name and identity. Enjoy the show. The center of innovation is here, and you know this is part of the message of Project Cashmere of this whole podcast that there's something happening here which is beyond just good value for money. Like I said, having the vision is great, but the key is these concrete initiatives that drive it at the ground level. I think Paul and those people who are really, they do extremely well with very limited resources and we can take advantage of the really low costs here. You know, Poland is the land of opportunity, and I, and I like to say the East is the new West because you always used to go West in history to find more adventure and danger and prove yourself. There are some good things beginning to happen here in Krakow, but we've got a very long way to go. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, good night, Project Kazimierz listener and viewer. This is the Facebook Live being recorded with John Mun, who is, I believe, uh, spending his Sunday evening in Taipei, Taiwan with us. Um, it's a great honor to have you on the show, John. Rather than me try to introduce you based on the notes you've sent me, could you explain like a little bit about who you are and what you do to someone who's literally never heard of you and doesn't know a thing about you? Sure. I'm happy to. Thank you for having me on, Richard. And just an update, it's Monday evening. We're in the future, not in the past here. Um, but that's not, what did not I say? Big deal. You said Sunday evening. Neither here nor there. Um, yeah. So my name is John Mern, um, born and raised in a very small town in Wisconsin, in the Midwest. Um, I'm the oldest of four kids. Um, I attended university in Wisconsin as well. Uh, I studied Initially, I studied international business, but uh, in the third semester, I hit macroeconomics, and that was enough for me to uh, change my major over to language and linguistics with a double major in journalism. Uh, after that, my career has taken me afoot to many places. That's a lot of 
probably what I'll be sharing today. Okay, so so um, that's got you as far as um, sending hints of the future. So uh, I, I first uh, heard about you because you were being interviewed on a podcast about Taiwan, and I, I'm planning to visit Taiwan in about six months' time when I started uh, looking into what's going on in Taiwan. Um, can you explain what, what took you to Taiwan, how long you've been there and, and what, what you do? Um, obviously, the podcast was not your podcast. It was, I think it was called Taiwan Talks or something like that. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was invited on that show. That's uh, ICRT, one of the two or three long-running English language radio stations here in Taiwan. Um, so uh, I first came to Taiwan in late summer of 2007. Uh, I was traveling, and uh, before I left America, I had a vague idea that I might um, like to live abroad and not simply spend the money that I had and, and go home and say, oh, I've traveled, but rather uh, have an extended experience and see if that wasn't for me. Um, so uh, I did some traveling in the UK and a few spots in Europe. And then by end of summer, uh, late towards the beginning of the school year, I made my way to Asia, um, Taiwan in particular, because of a bit of research I did before I went traveling. Um, I had looked at, excuse me, Japan, Korea, uh, Thailand, Taiwan. And um, Taiwan seemed overall the friendliest and to uh, kind of be the most disarmingly ready to offer someone a job. And uh, having, I had never been abroad when I started planning this trip. So, sorry, if you hear the cats playing in the background. Hey. That, that gives a bit of context. There is actually a cat wandering around the, the room I'm in. So if the sure. cats are meowing to each other, that will be a sure. first experience. International cat communication. Um, so, yeah, so I ended up just feeling that Taiwan would be the right place for me to, uh, to land at that time. Excuse me. And uh, I showed up here. I interviewed for a handful of jobs, and I took a job ultimately teaching in international high school. Um, so I didn't uh, live in Taipei my first year. I lived in Shinzu, which uh, is probably overstated, but is sometimes referred to as the Silicon Valley of Taiwan. Um, and it's called that because quite a lot of the computer hardware, the major kind of legacy computer hardware companies are there in the science park in Shinzu. Um, so I lived in Shinzu for a couple of years. I taught whatever they asked me to, everything from literature and journalism club to, I taught gym, uh, I taught history, I taught a bit of geography. So uh, yeah, I just kind of the whole lot. And um, after that, um, I spent some time, um, I decided two years of teaching was kind of enough and I had you know, saved a bit of money to do some more traveling. Uh, found myself wandering around the region, uh, stayed above up in Chiang Mai, Thailand for about a month. And eventually when it came time to start thinking about either moving home or putting more money in the bank, um, seemed like a good idea to keep going. So I made my way to Bangkok because it seemed like the most obvious uh, place where there would be a lot of job opportunities. Um, in Bangkok, I found myself a job in the marketing department at Mahidol University. 
um, which at the time and currently, like most big Asian universities, are really hot to attract a lot of foreign students. Mm -hmm. um, helps their international rating. It helps the local students want to attend, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, so my job there was really to, uh, yeah, to celebrate the diversity of the student body, um, to highlight what the clubs were doing, what the students were achieving, and also to help update the website to make it more appealing to students, you know, uh, in other countries who might want to come and live in Thailand and study at Mahidong. Um, I love Thailand, but living in Bangkok for one year was enough for me. Um, just, uh, you know, some, some alchemic mix of 45 degrees and complete downpour for two months at a time and, uh, uh, you know, suspect uh, civil, civil government practices and things like that. And, and just, uh, just, just could you timestamp this? What year are we in now? Uh, this is in, uh, this would be 2010. Okay, so we got to 2010. You've had a year in uh, a year in uh, Bangkok, and the climate, the climate wasn't everything you were wishing for. And then what happened? Yeah, um, I did a bit more traveling, but the initial feeling was, hey, Taiwan was really good. Um, I'd been around the region a bit, and just understanding what I did about the markets and you know, the currencies and the job opportunities. I felt like Taiwan was really favorable, not only compared to Thailand, but to the other places I had been as far as job prospects. Um, so actually, before I moved back, uh, while I was in Bangkok, I also bartended at night. I met some people that opened a nice bar. I bartended there. I met some other people, and I met some Swedish guys who have a uh, beverage consultancy. I think um, it's still around. It's called Flow Inc. And... Um, they help people, they consult on restaurants and bars and they throw parties and things like that. So I went to Malaysia for a couple months working contracts with them, doing some bartending, you know, just kind of enjoying the caprices and the freedom of youth. And uh, then from there, I made my way back to Taipei. Um, at that time, I decided that teaching was definitely no longer for me, having had a job at the university in Bangkok. And uh, I set about trying to figure out how to become at first a freelance writer but eventually a someone who writes for a living um, as i mentioned briefly at the beginning i have an english degree i have a journalism degree i figured you know this is where my core skill set lies um, i'll try and apply that in a market where people may need more international communication maybe in short supply okay so, so um, uh, this is a uh, a podcast for entrepreneurs and people who want to be entrepreneurs. And uh, uh, for, I, I see Tom Nolan in Warsaw is watching um, now. And for anyone else who's jumping on this online, if you want to ask questions to John in Taipei or to me here in Krakow in Poland, just type them in the Facebook uh, chat, uh, the Facebook comments beneath the live stream. Um, the cat in the background is a Taiwan. Oh, well, it's a cat in Taiwan. I don't know if it's a Taiwanese cat. There's also it is. A there's also a cat here in Krakow, and there's a possible, possibly in the annals of global podcasting, it would be a, it would be a first, certainly in this one, if the cats meow with each other. But as I was saying, so you were kind of, you're wanting to get out of English language teaching, which is a classic, or teaching, which is classic sort of way to get started type job, but you had some professional experience in marketing the, the university in Thailand, and you were mm -hmm. looking 
and, and reckoning that your your writing skills and communication skills might be a way to might be a way to get going. Is that correct? Yeah, that was the hope. Um, and at that time, most of my friends, like I said, I was living in Shinzu previously, not in Taipei. So I really, in my two years living in Shinzu, I didn't spend a ton of time in Taipei. So I, when I came back, I didn't have um, virtually no, essentially no contacts or none that were not teachers. Most, I guess, most relevant to this you know, journey that I was looking for a job that was not teaching. And uh, so I just kind of set about the very, I guess you'd say classic or in 2019, a kind of uh, old school job search. I looked for as many publishing companies, ad agencies, newspapers, magazines, companies that might need technical writers as I could find. Um, I emailed as many of them as I could find contacts for. And the ones that I, I looked up where their office was and I printed out resumes and I went around trying to hand out resumes. Um, and at this time, I really didn't speak any Chinese. So when I was walking into these, you know, offices and, and even trying to speak with the receptionist and, and nine times out of 10, the HR manager didn't know I was coming. So I was kind of, you know, barnstorming a little bit and uh, walking in the door, asking to speak to the HR manager, that kind of thing. And uh, there were some hits and misses. I certainly got turned away a lot. Uh, I didn't meet that many HR managers, but some took my resume. And eventually, within a few weeks, I started to get a couple of calls, um, mostly ad agencies, but a couple of publishing houses. And the ad agencies, universally, when they got me in the room, their first question was, what are, what are you doing in Taiwan? What do you want? And, uh, you know, I just kind of held the line. I said, I, I enjoy living here. I want to I want to get a job or I want to find projects so that I can you know, keep living here and keep working. Um, Did you have a, a, a visa for working at that stage or were you on a tourist visa and you had a certain amount of time to try and sort things out? And um, if, if at any stage they ask you a question you're not comfortable to answer in, in front of a public audience, then then just pretend I asked you about the weather, okay? <laughs> no problem. Uh, no, I was on a tourist visa. Uh, only very recently, we can get to this a bit later, but only very recently has Taiwan's visa uh, situation kind of gotten to a point where it can accommodate a lot of different people's professional, diverse professional situations. So at that time, I was definitely on a tourist visa. So every 60 days, I think it was then, I had to make visa runs. Um, and yeah, if, if a company had given me a job here, they could have sponsored my work visa, then I would be able to stay. Um, but what happened was eventually I started to get a couple of calls, you know, hey, we've got this uh, solar panel brochure that's in Chinese and we need it written in English or we're applying for awards for these TV commercials. So we need to write a summary and we need to write English subtitles, you know, very small bits and pieces. Um, and then eventually my big, my, my, I guess my breadwinning contract for that whole year was that I went to a, um, a, a scholar book fair or a, kind of a blended scholarly book fair and a textbook fair at a university. And I met some guys at, from a big publishing house called Cengage, which partners with National Geographic. And uh, I landed a contract with them to write textbooks. So I worked together with an American editor who was also based here in Taiwan. And that really... Uh, fed me for most of the year while I also was taking these other small contracts, but none of the other ones was proving to be something long-term that I could really, you know, uh, 
expect to, to pay month in and month out. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons I, I, I wanted you on the wanted you on the show, John, was because um, your start in Taiwan seemed to be quite similar to one that a lot of people might experience here in in, in Central Europe. That people come in, and I and certainly listening to you on the podcast as well, it sounded like your local audience might be quite similar in the sense that people come in as a foreigner where their language skills are their their entry. Um, I don't think Polish is is as impenetrable as Chinese to a non-native speaker, but it's it's up there in the list of challenging languages. So mm -hmm. uh, I, I would imagine that the, the, there, are, there are obviously some differences. One is that, you know, most uh, certainly younger Polish people speak much better English than many native speakers. The English language uh, proficiency is extremely high in, in, in the Polish population, whereas I suspect that that's not quite as true in Taiwan, although I may be, may be wrong. And the other thing is that although, you know, Taiwan's a very, very developed economy now, a very high-tech economy, and although mm -hmm. Poland is going very fast and is, is like, you know, heading in, heading in the same direction, I would say that possibly in, income per head is, is higher. In a moment, we'll come on to the, the thing you established yourself, um, or at least one of the things you established yourself, all hands Taiwan. But I want to... Um, I want to draw attention to something you described in your job, job search. You were you were confronting rejection. You were walking into offices with a resume um, and, and experiencing like the door-to-door -door salesman experience, except you didn't have a product. You were just selling selling yourself. And in your prior life, had you, was that easy for you? Were you so like you brought up for the sort of hard school of taking on rejection and just bulldozing on, or did you have to sort of like did you have to push yourself a bit? That's a great question. Um, I come from a family of big personalities, so things like public speaking or, um, you know, survivable social rejection are things that I have a thick enough skin for. So I had lived in Asia at that point for three years. I didn't expect it to be easy. Uh, and, that, and knowing that I didn't know anyone or anything, I also didn't expect that anyone owed me a, a chance to get going. So. I really just tried to be economical with my time and money, meet as many, you know, knock on as many doors as I could uh, and not take it personally when I heard no. But in that respect, one of the, I suppose, gracious things about Taiwan is that it's not a very direct nation when it comes to, especially when it comes to anything confrontational. So telling someone no uh, is usually going to happen indirectly and it's going to mostly be avoided if at all possible. So a lot of those resumes I sent off just went off into the ether and there was never any kind of response and that kind of thing. So uh, it was a mix of both, you know, but I certainly, yeah, I heard no a lot. And uh, that year was extremely formative for me, um, <clears throat> kind of reinforcing my, yeah, to your point, kind of my belief that, uh, which is still my belief that you really make your own luck. And, and professionally you do that by putting yourself in a position to, create opportunities, to find opportunities, to meet people who can potentially eventually help your career or connect you. And you can connect them and, you know, create a symbiosis that's valuable for both of you. And so I think that was an early, uh, early indicator that that was going to be a theme in my life. It's an important lesson there. And in, in, in an entrepreneurship course I've been teaching in a local university, uh, one of the, I told little clips of, uh, movies and set questions around them and there's a scene at the start of the Wolf of Wall Street where 
Lenny introduces himself to Jordan and, you know, he's noticed his neighbors prospering. He's wondering how he does it. And he, he effectively offers, you know, he, he asks the, he says to Jordan, you know, if, if you explain, if you show me your paycheck, I'll quit my job and come and work for you right now. But at a certain stage in life, entrepreneurship's a journey. The most entrepreneurial thing someone can do is get a job with someone else. It's not necessarily the case that, the, you know, you have to have been, you know, shoveling snow or, or, or babysitting or weeding your neighbor's garden from the age of seven. But that I, before we get on to um, All Hands Taiwan, mm -hmm. which you've established, if you think back about your, your childhood, you mentioned so you come from a family of big personalities. Was Did that include sort of entrepreneurship or showbiz? And like, if you could describe the kind of role models, because it's, it's quite interesting. Our listeners are very diverse. And sometimes people think, oh, you're so lucky to come from an entrepreneurial family. That's not necessarily the case. Sometimes the most entrepreneurial nurturing environment is the one where you have no role models and you're determined mm -hmm. to be different. And I was just wondering, if you look back now, what were the sort of, did you have role models or multi-role models? And is it a chance to say thank you to, to your aunt or dump on her or whatever? Well, uh, it's amusing. This answer will probably be amusing too. My dad was a UPS driver for his whole career and my mom worked in hospitals. Um, the big personality part really comes from the fact that my mom comes from a family of 13 children and she's somewhere right in the middle there. And uh, so if you are a believer at all in uh, the middle child syndrome in which the middle child is likely to get a bigger personality, uh, my mom defines that to a T. And so my siblings and I, two younger brothers and a younger sister, we all uh, gleaned a lot of that from her and her siblings are big personalities too. So we would go to Christmas, for example, dinner, at, my grandpa would rent a whole restaurant. And even from the time that I was a child, there would be 70 or 80 people there. And then when I was in high school or university, it would be well over a hundred people. So everyone vying for attention, you know, certain big personalities in the room becoming, kind of becoming the ham, telling jokes, you know, entertaining, playing with the kids, whatever it is. Um, so my personality in that respect, I would say really comes from my family, from my mom. Yeah. Okay. And, and was, were you from a particular ethnic, ethnic so immigrant community in the States? Or can you trace yourself back to like, are you, were you all like Italians or Irish or Poles or whatever? Sure. Uh, my mom was Swiss German, um, and I think they traced the Swiss side far uh, a good number of generations back. On my dad's side, uh, my my grandmother uh, followed our genealogy dozens of generations uh, back to Bohemia. So my great grandfather was born in Slovenia. Uh, so my family on my dad's side originated Slovenia, Slovakia, uh, Czech Republic, Greater Bohemia at that time. Okay, well, I think uh, this is the a Polish-centered uh, podcast. So we'll claim you. We'll, we'll claim you as a Central European. I think, and um, if, if, if if you're, you know, there's uh, obviously there are differences between the countries and the region, but we have a sort of a shared. Uh, some kind of shared heritage um and, but in terms of the entrepreneurship the big personalities you know people fighting for attention yes but did you ever have like job were you encouraged to like make money or was it like because uh, your parents were like not 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 self-employed they weren't business people but were, were, were you like let's say in in that environment forced to make your own money or or be survived yeah. by yourself or did you get a life handed to you on a plate <laughs> no no you're you're 
you're leading right to it. Uh, I had a I had a paper route when I was young, and after that, I would mow lawns and shovel snow for my own pocket money. Um, you know, in middle school and high school, and um, throughout high school, I mean, I'd always worked. We were very much a a squarely middle class family, so a middle class family with four kids is, you know, doing all right, but by no means well off. So. If I wanted things, especially by the time I was in high school, I certainly had to work for them. So I certainly did have jobs that, uh, some jobs that involve things, some of these entrepreneurial skills, like uh, leadership or public speaking. I was, uh, I was a tour guide in a cave um, called Cave of the Mounds. So I would give tours of groups up to, I don't know, 25 or 30 people. So you, you know, you're there by yourself guiding people through the cave. Um, I was a lifeguard and I taught swim lessons and I coached swimming. So um, I always had these kind of, I don't know, odd small town jobs until university and then after. But in the same in university, I always, I worked my way through university. I was a valet. I parked cars. Uh, I was a courier, a bicycle courier. Um, so yeah, I've done a million different kinds of jobs in my life. It, it makes a, it makes a difference. I know very often, you know, one of the things I employ a lot of people have done over the years and looking on resumes and see curriculum vitae is you looking for like evidence of things which instill realism and grit that sometimes if people have like a wonderful resume with great qualifications but you can see there's a sense of privilege shining through their background which means that they don't necessarily appreciate just how tough life is and it's much easier and i'm not saying it's tough to be a middle-class american is like or in my case a middle-class european is like you're, mm -hmm. you're you're very privileged indeed but still in a society where other people have much more money you still have to you appreciate the fact and if you've done these basic jobs then you're more able to understand how to manage and motivate and appreciate appreciate a good day's a good day's work because you've done it yourself and you also know yeah. what about and presumably you know what a bad manager looks like as well absolutely yeah i i can remember hearing well i think when i was in university or a little after one thing that some people in america say is you know like the world will be a better place if everyone could be a waiter for a week or a month or a year to see how people treat waiters right and then we would all treat waiters better and having been a waiter and a teacher now i think the world would be a better place if everybody got to do both of those for about a year each because uh yeah there's a lot to be learned being, you know, having the tables turned and being on the other side of those relationships. Yeah, there's a wonderful talk by an Australian showbiz uh, comedian musician, Tim Minchin, where he's giving one of these university inauguration, or the cat just ch ch chimed in, one of these university inauguration uh, uh, lectures or for graduating students where he said something along the lines of, you know, he'll always judge you by the way you treat the least powerful person in the room. And sure. it's about you know, like how you treat the waiter or how you treat the hotel receptionist is a good indicator. Um, so, so thank you for that. And I, I think I remember there was a CEO in what well, I think there's a top my first job type questions to lots of different CEOs and some guy running a huge American company said that his first job was on a building site and nothing he'd done ever since then was as demanding and difficult. And the thing that really motivated him to sign up for night school was the memory of that. <laughs> yeah, sure. Just lying in his bed, feeling so shattered, thinking I have to do something else. So appreciating hard work. Okay, well, you know that that's got you into. We sort of had a bit of a jump back in your past, but I think that's relevant. Um, so the the where did the I? Can you describe what All Hands Taiwan is, and also explain 
how you got the idea of go, setting up an organization? Because it's quite relevant to the different kinds of startup and entrepreneurial support communities we've got here in Poland. And, you know, there are different groups of foreigners here. But um, in your own, what is All Hands Taiwan and where did the idea come from? Sure. Um, All Hands Taiwan is a platform that seeks to make um, information and resources accessible and available to, to a wider audience. It's a very broad mission and goal. Um, it started because very briefly in the years between when I told you I freelanced here in Taipei and today, um, about six of those eight years were spent living here in Taipei. And um, throughout that time, I continuously had people ask me, you know, in all honesty and in genuinely and in earnest, you know, how did you get a job that's not teaching? You know, how did you find that or how did you how did you make that happen? And um, it just uh, last winter, I was looking for good causes. Sorry to jump around a bit, but where it really started is that last winter, I was looking for good causes. And why, why, between, were, you, why, why were you looking for good causes? Um, I have a lot of friends who do great altruistic work and they help people and they make an impact but they really make an impact and I really enjoy working in marketing, but I would, I feel it's, I'm available to give more, to do more, to help people. And, um, you know, I've grown out of my impish 20 year old cynicism and I want to see positivity in the world. There's too much crap on the news every day. There's too many people talking down to each other and insulting each other. And I'm tired of it. So, uh, my fiance is a social worker. I have many friends who work with immigrants, do all different kinds of work um, in many different countries around the world. And um, so I just started to feel this motivation to try to do something positive. So last winter when I was kind of looking around for that, you know, there are events here. There are, you know, environmental cleanups. There are animal rescue places where you can help out. There are orphanages and different things. Um, but you know, between the kind of, I don't know, I have a day job, uh, as I mentioned, you know, I, I have a fiance, I dedicate time to my relationship. I speak passing Chinese, but by no means fluent. Um, and, uh, that just kind of, I found ruled out a lot of those volunteering opportunities for me. And then coming back to what I was saying, it kind of was ringing in my ears that I kept hearing people asking, how did you get a job in Taiwan? How did you do it? And I know there's not one answer, and I know that my friends who've been here for years and even the new people who are here and finding jobs, no, no two people in Taiwan have the same experience. There is no English job board, right? The company, I mean, I'm going to try and do this in a linear way, but there are many reasons that there's no, uh, not even anything approaching a formula about, oh, go put your resume there and call those people and this and that, right? But in addition to feet. Uh, feeling like I was hearing that question a lot. I also noticed at the same time that on the on the one place that there were English job listings, which is Facebook groups here in Taiwan, um, all of the commentary was resoundingly negative. People were unhappy. They were frustrated about, um, you know, not being enough job openings, not getting a response if they sent a CV. Um, there's another problem in Taiwan, which is that... Um, the the English cram schools pay very well. So a junior professional role in Taiwan is very likely to pay less than what you would make as a teacher. And so 
you have to be willing to bite that bullet and take a pay cut for a year and a half or so until you can put that on your resume that you you know have accumulated some other professional experience here in Taiwan. Otherwise, um, otherwise you either stay at your teaching job and feel frustrated, or potentially you um, put yourself in the junior role with the knowledge every day. You just try to stuff it away behind you that you could every day you could walk out of your job and go over to that school and, and take a higher paycheck, right? Less stress. No, you know, maybe no dress code, that kind of thing. But uh, it's a big trade-off financially. Well, well it's interesting because I think it would also be true here in here in Poland that you know the, obviously the prices vary, but uh, an, a native speaker might be getting between I don't know twelve and fifteen US dollars an hour. I, I may get some comments saying that's all wrong, but I, I think that's, uh, and then, but in a professional job, you know, the, I, I think the monthly salaries and the cost of living is lower here that, a, you know, someone if someone was getting a thousand, a thousand five hundred dollars a month, that would be a, a reasonable graduate salary. So there are exceptions, for example, if you're a good at, good at coding, you know, suddenly yeah, you're doubling, doubling or trebling. exception everywhere. Uh, you know, there, there are exceptions, but, you know, once people get into uh, middle and senior management, they can be getting several thousand dollars a month. But I, 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 could you could you put context uh, using either euros or dollars? Because I don't think I, how many Taiwanese dollars are there to a US dollar? Uh, it's about thirty to one. So 30, thirty Taiwanese dollars to one US. So, so what would an English teacher be making in US dollars in an, uh, an hour, either working in a school or freelancing, but direct direct to uh, customers? Uh, English teacher in a in a school will start at a minimum of sixteen to seventeen U.S. an hour, and um, in a school could go up to maybe close to twenty five U.S. an hour. Uh, and if it's a higher learning or if it's a place where they require just one or two certificates, that can go up from there as well. Um, there are lots of teachers who take private students on the side, and they charge thirty dollars or even more an hour in cash in those mm -hmm. situations. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's average, I guess, for a teacher in Taiwan who just has, let's say, just has one job and works mostly full-time time. They would make about uh, 2,000, 2,500 U.S. Um, you can easily find a place for rent here for maybe 500, 500 U.S., you know. Um, that's probably with roommates, a little more without. But um, paying your rent in Taiwan is by far the most costly uh, facet of your life that and, and spending money to drink but food taxis other day-to-day -day things are exceedingly cheap you know riding the subway or the bus extremely cheap i don't know about you but i'm very busy and i don't have a lot of time to cook that's why i subscribe to factor eating better is easy with factors delicious ready-to-eat meals every fresh never frozen meal is chef crafted dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes you'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week including calorie smart protein plus and keto these are two minute meals factor meals are ready to eat in heat so there's no prepping cooking or cleanup needed they're flexible for your schedule 
Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math, and this is important. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash nbn50 and use code nbn50 to get 50% off. That's code nbn50 at factormeals.com slash nbn50 to get 50 percent off what what was so so yeah and so what i mean extremely cheap you know where you probably and I, I think that have you ever been to you said you've traveled in europe did you ever come to places like poland or other countries in central eastern europe i haven't been to poland i've been to uh yeah i've been to hungary and the czech republic i've been uh yeah vienna uh, austria okay. excuse me so, so I, I think you know you'd find that you know for, if someone's earning West European salaries, um, they find Central Europe quite quite inexpensive. But I suspect that it's broadly broadly similar. But Taiwan clearly clearly has um, a more developed tech economy in many ways than uh, than Europe. By the way, I'm just seeing that in our comments stream, um, someone called Thember Child writes ex- excellent project. I don't know, perhaps you know her. Yeah, no, that's him. That's a good friend of mine here in Taipei. Hey, Tembo, thanks for watching, man. And, and English wizards have written eight twenty-one U.S. dollars per hour from preschools in a company teaching for natives. National average would be fifteen dollars per hour. So, whoever English wizards are, thank you for being on the show. We appreciate you being here, and Thember as well. Um, Tom Nolan in Warsaw just gave a thumbs up, which is which is nice. Um, and we have six viewers as of, as of, as at present, so it's more than it might be. But over time, a lot of this gets watched later. Um, so, so your you had this idea that it was kicking off with sort of public service that you wanted to contribute something to the community, and the particular context was helping foreigners who wanted to like get go beyond go beyond English teaching into other uh, other areas of life. Um, and so what did you actually do? Did you start with a website or with a meetup or how did you get the, from like from the moment you had the idea to actually getting it up and running is a fascinating time with any, with any new enterprise. Yeah, definitely. Um, I hatched this idea that I was going to have a series of events because one of the things about Taiwan is that there is no community of people who are seeking professional work. There are very, there are, the communities, even for graduate students here, are not very professionally focused all the time, though they do provide some job resources. But people who are teaching or people who are freelancers here or who are just landing here and trying to figure it out, there are very few events in English. And usually they would be pretty industry specific, you know, Internet of Things or cryptocurrency. And they would be pretty high level, not necessarily kind of like entry level friendly or, or the kind of mixers where you can come out and meet people. So my initial idea was, well, let's have events because I guess the number one place foreigners meet foreigners in Taiwan, like a lot of places in Asia, is at the bar. But again, 90 to 95% of foreigners here are teachers and students. So that's the person you're most likely to meet. So I thought, well, why don't we have networking events and that will hopefully, well, we'll find out if it will or won't, inspire people who, who want this resource to come out and participate, you know. And um, so my initial idea was to have a series of four events. And over time, the ambition has always been and will always be to have to be an integrated professional platform. But the reason I started it 
uh, the, with the idea of foreigners is because simply it was the biggest area of unmet need. There were no, there are no events or resources for foreigners here. That's why there are a handful of Facebook groups about non-teaching jobs. So my initial idea was to have four events, and I started telling my friends about it. To be honest, my friends are all kind of like, "Why do you want to do that?" Like, you know, you're helping a bunch of people. There's not enough jobs. Half of these people don't really want to get out of teaching, right? There's that stigma, I guess. And you know, my friends kind of were were surprised that I wanted to get into it. And um, around that time, uh, someone sent me a message on LinkedIn, and I met uh, a guy called Daniel Miller. Um, he's uh, half British and half Chinese, and he had grown up both in China and the UK. And he's living back here in Taiwan now, and he works for a company. He runs an office of a company called Pagoda Projects, and what they do is bring paid interns from uh, other countries here to Taiwan, and they also have offices in a couple cities in China and Mexico and Vietnam. So um, we both are kind of serial networkers. So we just kind of traded a couple messages, decided to get lunch. Uh, we sat down and did kind of what you and I are doing. What are you doing? What are you doing? And I told him about this all hands idea, and he said, "Yeah, that sounds good. Taiwan needs it. You know, let's do it." And uh, that was kind of the spark. That I needed. Uh, I was a bit surprised to hear that kind of positive response from somebody. I kind of thought I would either have to go it alone or, or let it fizzle. So to have somebody else be like, yeah, okay, let's go, uh, was really sustaining and uh, kind of, you know, so, kind of gave a backbone to the whole thing. So can you give me the name of your partner again? What What's the name? Yeah. I didn't... Daniel, Daniel Miller. Daniel Miller. And so again, for anyone listening, I, I was giving a talk uh, literally just Sunday week ago about how sometimes the biggest opportunities are um, jumping on board someone else's idea because there's a great TED talk in the show notes by Derek Sivers saying that the first follower, being the first follower, follower is an understated form of leadership. And the first, I love this quote, the first follower turns the lone nut into a leader that, you know, if you've got an idea until you meet someone who says that's a great idea, you do have this background voice wondering if you're completely crazy and depending on your, yeah. and like, and you know, when you're doing your first event, you know, at least there are going to be two of you, <laughs> not, not, not this one. Which which may or may not be acceptable. So so many of your existing networks weren't that supportive. Um, but but this Daniel Daniel Miller said a great idea. Let's do it. And that's when it sort of that was the critical thing to get it off the ground. Really, it was it was. I mean, I had the gumption to do it. I do public speaking for work. I didn't have any like reservations about me putting myself out there. It was more like. I think kind of baked in, you know, your own bits of self-doubt and then my own friends initially not necessarily jumping on board and saying, wow, yeah, you should do that. Because most of my other friends are like me. They're established professionals, but they had to work very hard for it. Most of them scrapped tooth and nail. And um, so to, to kind of know that somebody else was going to try and shoulder it with me helped uh, push it over the top. So we really started to talk about it as a real thing. And Danny... Danny and one other friend kind of were strong in saying, like, you know, you really got to have a blog. You got to have a website that gives people information where they land. Um, so, you, you know, you build that library of information and then you got SEO and all these other things. But you got to give it a home online so that people can find it. And uh, I was reluctant to do that because I've spent a lot of years writing in my career. I've had my own blogs in the past and it's a lot of work. You know, it's, it's kind of like keeping up a blog for any reason. 
is kind of, in my mind, is kind of like when you have a job as like a social media manager. A lot of people look at it and they're like, well, it's not that big of a deal. Just sit down and, and write a blog post or, oh, you know, just plan this week's social media post. Well, people don't appreciate how much work that is, you know, having to find the resources, having to edit it, having to make sure there's no typos, depending on when you want to publish it and all these other things. So long story short, I caved and we, we started a website. So we have allhandstaiwan.com and we got that up and going. I guess maybe in November um, and our first event then started to be planned. We had two events in January. We wanted to get them in before Chinese New Year to try to build a little momentum for ourselves. So we planned four events at the beginning and um, the goal was to give them a strong theme so that people would understand what our events are going to be about. You know, one of the things I've encountered, not just here in Taiwan, but elsewhere is that, you know, for long running event series, sometimes it's, it's easy to lose the plot. Or maybe it's not easy, but once you've had a hundred or something more regular events, sometimes the scope just has kind of widened out and softened. And when that happens, you might find that like, oh, I love this event that I went to. And then I look at the next two events on your calendar and they don't appeal to me. So then what happens is I don't go to those two events and I don't really become an active member of your community. And, you know, uh, my feeling about those events is kind of wishy-washy. So we planned, uh, first we had an event about people who used to be teachers and now have other jobs. Uh, Danny had also taught, so he and I both, you know, were kindred spirits in that respect. We had a, an event of small local businesses, foreign-owned small local businesses, so not like tech companies, but like restaurants, English consultation, uh, there was an urban gardening consultant. Um, then we did a panel of HR professionals and a panel of headhunters. And... Before we ever had an event, we specifically just uh, planned it as a set number, and, and it was kind of a joke amongst ourselves, but we also meant it that we were kind of like, okay, we're going to set up these four events, and if nobody comes, we can just kind of go, well, we tried, you know, we, we, gave, it a good, we gave it a good faith effort. And um, what happened was we ended up like being on the radio. The podcast you heard me on, we had never had an event yet. So uh, by the time the blog went up, by the time we had three blog posts, we had organizations that are much bigger than us contacting us and say, hey, what are you guys doing? We should partner. And we were sitting on the other side of the keyboard going, we should be asking you to partner. We haven't done anything. And, uh, but it felt good, right? It felt like... You decided to cut in, but you didn't necessarily tell them that you when they said that because you, you realized that you need to keep your credibility up. So Of course. So I'm, I'm just going to stop you there because we'll go, in, go into more details. So I want to ask you in a moment about how how you paid for it because here in Poland there are many, many free events where you get a venue based, if you do it on a, a Monday or Tuesday evening when bars are empty, you can get a venue space um, for the hope, their hope for an expected bar take. And I think I noticed you were charging for tickets, but I also wanted to um, uh, draw a a lesson out of here that if you're kicking off something new you ha you have to have like scenario scenario planning you have to think well you know what's the worst that can happen no one can show up we we do four events and we try but so you kind of like you pre-plan for a bad outcome because then you're psychologically ready for it if it doesn't work out well that was one of the things you knew might happen but also exactly. for anyone anywhere else in the world um listening to this depending on the environment you're in it's worth worth considering whether this might be something that would work in 
work in your city that I'm, uh, you know, some of the events that I'm, I'm responsible for and Krakow Enterprise Mondays is re is replicating to Lublin, another city in Krakow. Open Coffee Krakow is replicating to, to has replicated to Wrocław and the, the Cam Entrepreneurs thing, which is one of the reasons I'm coming to Taipei. You know, we st started with an idea and we've had meetings in Edinburgh, London, New York, Dubai, Sydney, Australia, uh, uh, and, and Warsaw, and it's you know we it, it, when you have the right idea, um, although people think online world everyone's meeting online and somehow face to face is actually dying, it's absolutely not true. The the hunger to meet people face to face, particularly if you're a freelancer and you don't you don't go to an office and hang out with the same people every day in the way that some people do. There are people people want to meet face to face. So so listen listen to John and think: is this something that might work? Where where I live, um, as you're listening. So now come back. How did how did you how did you get the venues and did you charge for tickets and if you did why and uh, how how did it all work out financially? Yeah. Uh, well, I put up some money. Um, I think all in it cost us about a thousand US to get off the ground, which was, you know, we paid for standees, some stand up banners. Um, we paid for a little bit of marketing at first, not much budget. But we paid for some nice letter pressed name cards so that people wanted to take notes when they met each other you know we've got branded name tags because we wanted to kind of i hate icebreakers but i wanted to make it easy for people at our events to speak to one another so our name tag is not just a name you put your name and either the industry or job that you do or that you want to do so that if you walk past somebody and they're like a full stack engineer or a ui designer or a, i don't know anesthetist nurse anesthetist or something and you're like whoa how'd you get that or i, I need that I need that person on my team, right? It, it kind of like very quickly lets people uh, make headway into, into feeling comfortable talking to each other. So, mm. um, yeah, we invested about a thousand US and the way that we got venues was a mix of things. Uh, again, we were lucky. Some of them came to us before we ever had an event. Um, there's a big boom in co-working spaces in Taiwan right now. So uh, we've talked to some of them. Uh, we've had a couple of events there. We had a couple of events at the Hive Taipei. Um, they gave us a chance to kind of check it out and see if it was right for us. Um, there's also an arts venue in Taipei called Red Room. Um, it's a long-running arts space. I believe they've been going, I'm going to get it wrong, but I think 11 or 12 years, maybe longer. Um, but they're not limited to arts. They support all kinds of culture and communities. And um, when we told them that we were starting something, you know, from nothing and essentially with no money, um, they were open to the idea because they thought there was an opportunity to help build a community that doesn't yet exist in Taiwan. And so they gave us a good deal, um, which we thought was manageable. Um, and then, yeah, we, we've ended up charging for events and it's mostly just to, to break even and put a little bit of money in the bank. And now the, the bit of money that we do make actually goes towards us going to other events, but I'll get to that in a minute. So we charge about 10 US at the door and that includes a drink. Um, and the reason we charged is, yeah, one, we put up some money at the beginning and we didn't know if anybody was going to show up. And two, you know, uh, we didn't want to make it free. That's the lowest bar to entry. Like we kind of wanted to know that you want to be there. And so uh, we're not earning any money out of this, but the goal was just kind of to, to set the bar a little bit higher and say, do you really want to be here? You know, and um and people did, and we've been blown away. Our first four events, we averaged over 100 bodies every event, 
Um, we had foreigners and locals. We had entrepreneurs. We had freelancers with teachers, students, every walk of life that you can imagine. And uh, yeah, so we're kind of in a place now. We've had um, we've had six events, and we co-sponsored one smaller environmental event. And uh, we're starting to have some conversations about how do we how do we talk about making it more sustainable? Not necessarily as a business. Right now, it doesn't appear to be any kind of business model where we would be paying anybody a salary. But um, yeah, in the past month or so, um, we've started to have conversations with bigger, much bigger organizations. Um, we've been meeting with city government. We've met with local legislators. Um, but before I get into that, I think I should probably comment on why we're in that situation, which is a bit serendipitous and also naive, maybe on my part. Um, so last, I think, August, Taiwan passed an initiative to make English a national language by 2030. And so the government is moving forward with this. And there's all kinds of initiatives that or, or laws and, and things that need to be put in place for Taiwan to achieve this. And we didn't really think about that when we started All Hands. And um, the result has been kind of that because our community grew really fast, we've kind of become, I don't know, uh, identified as the guys who have the foreigner community. And so, um, you know, we've been invited to comment on an immigration bill. Uh, we have met with the city to talk about a program where they want to understand if they can make Taiwan more friendly to uh, remote workers or, or digital nomads. Um, we've met with the American Chamber of Commerce and other kind of, uh, you know, business groups that have a lot of, you know, businesses interests in mind. And um, so some of the things that we're getting ourselves into in the past month or two are really quite a lot bigger than we just started out as two guys having cheeseburgers at lunch and kind of being like, hey, let's do this. Okay, yeah, let's do it. Uh, so as it happens, the government had a lot of things happening or kind of coming to maturity at the same time. And we didn't really look that way. We just thought like, well, let's see if we can get these events going. And as it happened, it's really snowballed in a networking type way. And a lot of people have said, oh, you know, those people, do you know those people? And now we end up in these much bigger conversations. Yeah. I, I think that, I mean, the, the startup community, here has received quite significant support from the from the local government it's very interesting that you know it's, and I, I think quite often the you know it's not so much the beautiful buildings and the tall shiny skyscrapers it's what happens inside them that really matters and you can have a great you can have a great community in a really terrible building and you can have a, a no community at all in a really flashy building and sometimes even the flashy building is counterproductive because it, 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 people think it's going to be expensive. It keeps people away. And that if you can bring the community to people, I want to come on to community building in a moment because you mentioned there isn't, there wasn't a strong sense of community, but um, you will, you may well find that, uh, you know, you can get support for like grant. If you've got an NGO or a legal entity, um, sometimes private companies can't do this, but you can get grants towards covering your, your baseline cost if you can if you can bring a community and it's you know the, it, I'm not I, I would imagine that it's case by case but the city of Krakow the city of 
Krakow pays for the coffee at Open Coffee Krakow. The, the regional authority provides support. Well, I do a TEDx event and TEDx is seen as bringing the international, the eyes of the world to the local community. And so mm -hmm. sometimes companies have a budget for community activities as well, corporate social responsibility or whatever it's called. So yeah. that, that can be... Uh, that can be a way of keeping ticket prices down or even even free in some cases because, again, yeah. the American Chamber of Commerce here in Poland, Amcham, they have a mixture of open events, which you, do, you don't have to be a member, and closed events, and you can have a kind of cross-subsidy. And, you know, sometimes people who mm -hmm. come from companies, you know, they're ready to pay a bit more on the basis that their extra money uh, makes it accessible for students or people who don't have a, don't have a budget. Um, yeah. But um, coming on to... Um, the uh you know the the business model i i think i i got people from the podcast you were wondering about about recruitment or, or things like that that i could could you see you said you i was very struck when you said you hate icebreakers and but you're a networker that that normally you know the people who hate the people who hate icebreakers are people who are sort of introverts and they don't like they don't like meeting people but you obviously are into events because you'd, it'd be a really bad career choice to start a networking organization for someone who yeah. hates hates meeting people so um do you see yourself as like building a a community that was there to be brought together or was it there but just fragmented Um, I think it's more that it was just there, but fragmented, you know, like I said, it's, it's hard to find other events that would draw people looking for similar things on a professional level. And so going to the bar and bumping into people, you know, and meeting the people they know, that's a very slow growth as term in terms of like your networking. Right. And, uh, so yeah, it was, a, it was a huge group of unconnected people, many of whom are now somewhat connected via all hands Taiwan. Yeah. And, and I, I, I picked up the sort of sense, you, yeah, I mean, I'm inferring it that you said that a lot of people who are on the online platforms were complaining and quite negative and pessimistic and, you know, entrepreneurs almost by definition have to have a shred of optimism that they, they believe what they're doing might work, otherwise, otherwise sure. they wouldn't in the first place. So, um, and certainly it's something we very much encourage in the pro-entrepreneurship community that we're involved in is, is the sense that entrepreneurship's a journey. This isn't a club for people who've made it. This is a, this is a group of people who you know believe in you know self improvement or improving things for their customers or partners and are ready mm -hmm. to help other people along the way. So we kind of have this sort of statement of values. I'll, I'll, I'll share it in the show notes. But you know, giving mm -hmm. giving people they might be in a corporate job and they want to they want to get they want to start a company, but. Oh, or they might be a student and want to start a company or they might be an English teacher and they want to get a job in a company. There are different definitions of progress for different people. But do you, do you have, and you mentioned the social mission, you know, you were looking for a volunteering opportunity when you chose to do this, but do, does all have, Taiwan have a, like a, a value statement or are you figuring it out as you go along? Is it more a projection of your personality? Yeah, we're figuring it out as we go along. I mean, it's happening faster than we can keep up, you know, it did start as a goodwill idea. Uh, at this point, we have added another core member, um, a guy named Sean Wilson. He brings some valuable technical and personal skills to our team. And uh, starting next month, we have a dedicated volunteer from our events who's actually going to do a lot of our events operations stuff. So we're trying to delegate. We're trying to appreciate how much we can really handle. And we are also trying to maximize how much we can do by, by 
letting people come in and, and support and actually be a part of it. And so that's, that's really fulfilling and it's eye-opening. And back to your point about, uh, you know, companies that might donate grants or other foundations, we're, we're at the very nascent stages, the very beginning of having those conversations about where to look for that or what partners would be right for us. And um, we're meeting a few people uh, in the past couple of weeks who are going to be good advisors for us. And so um, I do think it's very possible that, that it's probably likely that we will push hard to have some funding within the next six months. Um, we have some very big projects coming up that I haven't mentioned yet that are going to require manpower and possibly, you know, office space or just other resources. And um, so that's something exciting to look forward to. It's not something I ever wanted to do alone. So I'm happy. I'm exceedingly happy that many people are coming into all hands and, and they're showing that they're capable and, and amazingly helpful. And, and, you know, we really are able to pull together not only our ideas, but our talents and and it feels great to be building something and to know that people want it. You know, every event, more people that we haven't met come out and you say, wow, this is great. I didn't know this was here. I have never met this many foreign professionals before. Or, like, or it's so good to know that other people are having the struggle that I'm having, you know, because among this like disparate group of foreigners who might want to have a, a, a job that's not teaching, um, there's more foreigners here than ever, which tells me there's probably more people than ever who don't even have a friend, one friend that's not a teacher or a student. So yeah, I mean, there's just so much, uh, I don't know. It doesn't feel like we're like super actively building a community, but a lot of it is, is coming along with everything else we're doing. You know, we're putting on events. We put out an events calendar every month. We encourage people to go to events. And um, it does seem like we've been able to really stimulate something that's fantastic and, and you know as a as a sign for an entrepreneur the fact that you're the more people the, the sense of product market fit the sense that more people are interested than you imagine that the you know there's this sense you've started something that's might be maybe not unstoppable but there's a, a clear evidence that what you're doing meets a need is very very motivating i'm going to do we're getting towards the end of our time there's a couple of things i want to ask you about one one is um your relations with the startup community you mentioned there are a lot of different tech events going on that are there like good networking meetings in english for entrepreneurs in taipei that you partner with or that you're kind of benchmarking against or do you think that you could like also do something similar not just for professionals, but also if you want to start companies. Yeah, I think now actually the startup community is probably the best place for foreigners. It has the most events and the most accessible events. And when I say startup community, I guess that means everything from there are a lot, like I said, there are a lot of co-working spaces. So a lot of startups are, are based there. Um, there are different VCs here and um, you know, uh, groups, accelerators. And um, so in that respect, yes, that's a very international community. Um, there's one called Mobile Only Accelerator. They have a monthly happy hour. Um, their Facebook page is Mox, M-O-X, Mobile Only Accelerator. Um, they, have, they host a speaker every month. You know, they've got some funding because they're backed by a venture, uh, by an investment group. So you can go there, you can drink a couple free beers, you can meet a couple other startup people. Um, each of the co-working spaces hosts different events. Many of them are startup or entrepreneur related. Um, 
And um, yeah, then there's all kinds of other organizations like Anchor Taiwan, which brings different cohorts of entrepreneurs from elsewhere to Taiwan, where they can try to leverage, you know, uh, manufacturing or digital talent, uh, or just, you know, possibly meet people where they can have, you know, professionally transformative experiences. Um, and as far as our relationship to that, yeah, our last event actually, um, we had a startup come to us and they said, you know, all the startup events recently are about raising money or your company culture. And they said, one of the problems we have is that actually young people have a problem with their mindset about what it's like to work in a small company. Taiwan is uh, very much in love. Some startups here are very much in love with the idea of these Silicon Valley companies. So, you know, like no time clock, uh, you know, the kitchen is full of snacks, et cetera, et cetera. And so, um, uh, one of the startup leaders kind of came to us and she said, you know, we have too many people that are a little more worried about the perks than they are about the job. So we need to talk about what it's really like to work in a startup. So just last Wednesday, we had an event with some startup leaders and we talked about like kind of the event, the, the event theme was real talk about life at startups. You know, what's it really like to work in a six person startup or grow from five to 20 people and those kinds of things. So mm -hmm. we're very much participating. Okay, and and that leads into uh, a sort of final idea that um, what I I'm coming to uh, Taiwan uh, at the end of October for a I'm a TEDx organizer and TEDx Taipei is having a TEDx weekend for TEDxers from all over the world and one of the things I, I'm a kind of veteran community builder and so one of the things I do before other people's events is have get togethers get togethers and i'm wondering and so for example before the ted summit in edinburgh next month in in edinburgh i'm i'm organizing in a in a community space a, a meetup for some of the people who are traveling a long way to get there and i'm vaguely wondering if there's room to do some kind of joint event that or co-hosted event or something like that in in late october either just before probably preferably just before or maybe just after the advantage of just before is that if any meaningful connections are made then people aren't leaving right afterwards they can sort of follow up yeah. but uh, do, do you think there might do you, do you think there's a, there might be there might be some value in that in doing some kind of uh some kind of joint event in about five months time Absolutely. Um, especially, like you said, there's other people coming in. And, um, you know, like I said, some of the organizations I mentioned, like Mox and Anchor Taiwan, they're having a lot of success bringing uh, other, whether it's small entrepreneurs or startup founders here and, and really kind of helping drive the conversation. And, and those events do attract a good mix of Taiwanese and foreigners based here. Um, and yeah, we're always looking for partnerships. When I Throughout this conversation, when I said, oh, we've met with these people or those people, those are always a good thing. You know, um, there's there's always room for that. And um, we'd love to talk about it. So, you know, we don't have to hammer out the details here. But, yeah, we'd very much like to talk about having an event when you're in town. No, because, because um, I, I think from, from my point of view, I'm always trying to emphasize that entrepreneurship is much wider than simply like the Silicon Valley startup mentality. You already re no. referred to that. But it's more about just a sense of, you know, it's possible to do things now personally together with other people that fix some some problem and you've obviously started fixing a problem and i'll um you know i'm i'm not ready yet to make a proposal but i'm in touch with the alumni office of cambridge university and i'm, I'm teaching some courses in the business school there or teaching doing some workshops i should say but they've uh, and as far as i can see there isn't an active alumni chapter in 
Taipei, but for sure there'll be a few there. So if I can bring together the sort of Cambridge, maybe Oxford University alumni together with some TEDxers um, and, and bring them into contact with a pre-existing community, you know, I feel that that's, that's like, it's almost like when worlds collide, suddenly you get, there's, there's added value to meeting people you don't normally meet and it, with the right yeah. mindset, provided you manage expectations so people don't think it's the billionaires club which um, yeah yeah exactly there's and, a bit of a problem with certain groups here like that yeah you don't yeah. want to be exclusive we don't want to be exclusive at all hands anyway so. i mean you, you have like door policy on mindset but not on not on prior achievements because you know i'm, I'm not i'm not religious but if, if everyone was born with us with zero contacts and dies with zero contacts and <laughs> your cat's obviously agreeing in the <laughs> is it possible for you to show the cat but just put it up sure. in the video? okay i'll sure. show you right. oh. okay this is absolutely a first time experience on the <laughs> this is bacon this is oh, you've got quite a garfield over there um quite quite something i don't know which cat looks better but um yeah, she's not meowing. She's not even looking at the screen. Can you meow again? Meow, meow. What? One more. There you go. Can you say that for all the people? One more. Oh, okay. There we go. Sounds like he's done with being on TV. Uh, yeah, this one too. Okay, that's a memorable end. Um, what I would do is if you ping over, ping over the links to the different organizations you mentioned that you didn't put in the, the form. I'll, I'll put those together in the show notes for the podcast. Um, next steps will be obviously for me to extract this, uh, put it into the podcasting thing. That usually takes a, a week or two. Um, I'm very happy to have the cat stay in. Um, <laughs> um, so finally, if, if anyone listening to this wants to get in touch with you or has some ideas or proposals, what should they do? Uh, you can send an email to allhandstw at gmail.com. We're working on getting emails forwarded. Actually, I think Sean already made me one, but I don't want to say the wrong one on here. So allhandstw at gmail.com. Uh, otherwise, you can send a message to the All Hands Taiwan Facebook page directly, and I'm following that as well. So whatever works. Yeah, and I, I can emphasize this does work because I sent a message to John. But I Googled him after the after the, the the Taiwan Talks podcast and he wrote back and now uh, I and I feel the great thing about this podcasting format instead of us having a one on one conversation, a certain number of people between, you know, a few hundred up to a few thousand around the world get to hear this. And if there's no value, tough. But I would be and I'd love to get any feedback if anyone gets in touch and does anything as a result of this podcast. Sure, John sure. It's been a pleasure to meet you. I hope to meet you face to face in in Taipei in a few months' time. If you don't, if you're not going to be in Europe, and you know, if if the magic of this technology means we can do an event together, that would be even better. But thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Richard. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to another episode of Project Kashmir, brought to you by me, your host, Richard Lucas. If you enjoyed listening, check out additional podcasts on our webpage, projectkashmir.com, or on iTunes, where you can also subscribe so you never miss an episode, and also leave us a five-star review if you feel like it. We welcome feedback and suggestions of new interviewees, whether as comments on projectkashmir.com or via our page on Facebook. This podcast was produced by Adam Zuber. Thank you again for listening. You know, vision is all great and well, but execution is actually the key. The actual process of meeting those people, working with them, 
is in itself a huge reward. Interaction between the university and the business high-tech community is absolutely fundamental. Diversity creates a healthy ecosystem, and I think that I'm seeing more and more that diversity. It's not just about individuals, but it's about new individuals, it's about you know, um, new initiatives. Sometimes they overlap with each other, sometimes they might be cannibalizing each other, but the reality is that you want to have as many as possible because that accelerates the big picture. We're not going to have everyone in the world here, and in this connected world, we don't need everyone here, but, but the, you know, the artists and the designers, the creatives, they're very much part of what, we, what we've got and what we need. So if you're listening again somewhere else in the world and you feel you, you, you're looking for a place where your, your, your creative juices will run, then, then, then this city is certainly a place where you can find yourself. And I think you can make history in Poland. I think you can be part of something much bigger than you could be a part of in the United States right now, not just from a, you know, going out to San Francisco to make Silicon Valley richer, but, but making a new part of the world um, grow at a much faster rate, be a much bigger part of that community and, and making it wealthy, not just for wealth's sake, but for uh, a purpose, which is to make that country's government stronger, Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.